Luke 15, 1 through 16, verses 1 through 7. Luke 15, 1 through 7. And I actually think I'm going to go on through verse 10 because it does tie in. Uh, so we'll take uh, Luke 15, 1 through 10 this morning as our text. The Bible says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we've been able to praise you. Thank you that we are able to have a Bible in front of us in a translation that somebody has worked carefully on. Uh, we are struck now that Mark said it, that people didn't always have this. So we thank you that we can have your word and interact and and. and carry your word home with us and read it. And we pray now as we uh, do this and interact around your word, we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit's work that will happen in our lives as we attend to your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. So next week, just to give you a heads up of where we're going, we will switch next week from Christ the shepherd to Christ the sheep. Uh, next week, uh, probably it'll be the text uh, where John the Baptist said about Jesus when he was walking, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The following week will be Palm Sunday, and it'll be a traditional uh, Palm Sunday message that we need to hear uh, at all times of the year, but it'll help us with that. And then Easter Sunday is the 17th, I believe. Afterwards... We're going back to our way of taking a text of Scripture and walking through it. If you want to get ahead of the game on this, um, it's going to be the book of Philippians. I just feel like that whole idea of joy and rejoicing, uh, that theme that runs through that. I know it's not been but uh, two or three years since we looked at it prior. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> I don't have this little secret thing where I'm going to preach through every text of Scripture, and you guys are my guinea pigs on that. And so I'm, 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 I'm praying and seeing, and, and uh, 
we will talk about this again in session meeting and make sure this is the right direction for our, our church. But joy and rejoicing in Philippians, uh, that's, uh, that, that's the watchword, that's the need for the day, I believe, for us and for everybody. <laughs> so that's the plan. Um, but I could not feel like I could do a series of sermons about Christ the shepherd without this famous parable that Jesus told about the 90 and 9. As a kid in the Christian school I went to, which was a Christian Reformed Day School, there's a song, and I bet it's in our, it's bet it's in our hymn book. And we would start out, it was like drama. It was like, a, like if it was rock and roll, it would be a rock opera. It was, we'd sing, uh, there were 90 and 9 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, and it just gives the whole narrative. And, and our little choir director would direct us in all these ways, and, and we could sing it triumphantly when the shepherd got the sheep and all of that. Uh, this is an important, important passage for us to understand, especially in its context. And I'm excited that we get to do that this morning. Uh, there's a setting, and we'll talk about the setting, then three points. The sinner described, the seeker identified, and the celebration that ensued. So we'll get to the sinner described, but first let's lay the setting. Because Jesus didn't just say, hey, I got a story for you, and tell the story. His parables and things that he told that were recorded in Scripture are set in a context. They were told at a certain time, in a certain setting, for a certain group of people. And this setting we see in the first two verses. It said the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to hear him. If you've got a King James, it might say the publicans. The publicans and, and the sinners, because that was the name, not republicans. Uh, and it wasn't the republicans and the democrats all drawing near to hear him. It was the tax collectors and the sinners who were drawing near to hear Jesus. Jesus had some words. He had a message. And they were drawing near, not every single one that lived in that land, but enough of them where where they could use that figure of speech like they did. They're all coming to hear him. They're all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, who were the religious elite, who wielded a lot of power in those days, uh, more than uh, pastors would in our culture today, uh, because the bedrock of Jewish society was with the church and with the law. Uh, The law controlled uh, how things went. They were the, what you would say, the cultural elite. The political elite, they had to bow to to Rome, and that's why they worked together with the Romans uh, when they uh, thought they squashed Jesus. But the, the Pharisees and the scribes then grumbled, and they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Think of the grumbling. Think of what it's like to be watched. Every tweet, every speech, every gaffe, every little tick you give, every little thing, somebody's watching you, and they are not watching you to prove you to be a good person. They're watching you to give you demerits. (laughs) They're watching you to ruin your life. They're watching you to use it against you. Uh, 
If you've been in a relationship where, uh, where, where, where it's almost like the Miranda rights uh, that are read to us, uh, what you say can and will be used against you in the court of my personal law. If you've had a boss like that, or a spouse like that, or a parent like that, or a kid like that, kids can do that to parents. Uh, if you've had a neighbor like that, uh, think about somebody out to get you and watching you. Jesus was under that microscope all the time. So here he was doing what we would say is a good thing. People from all society, the, 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 even the, the outcasts, the sinners, coming to him. And here they were, rewarding Jesus with mockery, criticism, underhanded implications. They did this uh, in some places. It tells us in Scripture the motivation was from a place of jealousy, personal envy, professional envy. Uh, Do you remember when Jesus first opened the scrolls and they said, he teaches with authority and not as the scribes? Uh, What does that do to the scribes who overhear that and talk about that? Uh, That's a threat to their status, to their self-esteem. Sometimes it comes from a place of fear that they will be reduced to irrelevance. Jesus cannot go on. He's the carpenter's son. Who's your daddy? Who's your mom? Where'd you come from? You can't do this to us. We are the elite. And they dehumanized him and they hated him. came at him in a different way than they came at the sinners and tax gatherers. Tax gatherers, just picture somebody, let's say, uh, let's say they cut a deal in Europe and, and Russia gets some of these territories that they've, you know, taken. And to stop the killing, somebody mediates something. And some Ukrainian says, I'll gather the taxes to send them back to Russia. What are those fellow Ukrainians going to think about that one who's, as they think about their lost uh, loved ones and their, their national pride and all that? That was the tax gatherers in that day. They were despised as turncoats and traitors. And they made a decision to turn their back on that culture and their heritage uh, to, wealthy, uh, to, to uh, make themselves more wealthy. Boy, they hated these tax gatherers. They hated these uh, citizens. They looked down on them. They were righteous. All of their uh, credentials were in order. All their papers were there. They had their documents with them. They could do everything they wanted. They were the righteous. And they did not like the sinners. They used the Bible as a means to to fuel hatred. Their Old Testament scriptures to, to to, to foster this better then, but it was a different level when it came to Jesus. With Jesus, it wasn't just sins. They accused him of many sins. They couldn't find an actual sin he did, but they accused him, and it was ideological. In Russia, when the purges came, uh, and there were the death camps, and, and people sent off to Siberia, um, 
you did not want to go before a court and be tried for saying anything about Uncle Joe Stalin or Lenin. You would rather uh, be tried as a common sinner. If you were a political sinner, ten times worse. And they tell the story about the man, and he knew the purges started up again under communism. They happen all the time. And, and the government, they, they ostensibly have a law, and they've got to get a confession out of you. But they can get a confession out of most people. They can beat it out of you. They can threaten you. They can threaten your family. They can shut you off. And he knew ideologically they were going to get him. And that was his death sentence. So he goes down to the store, breaks a window, fills a bag full of stuff, and they come and get him as a, as a common sinner, just a thief. And he gets his five years and spares his life that way. Uh, the difference between the way that the Pharisees and scribes looked at Jesus versus the common sinners was different. They were after Jesus. Jesus was a threat ideologically. The role play of culture, the despising of the cultural elite on the others. I was in an airport, and the uh, the uh, people checking the bags. What's that? The TSA is that what they call? I don't fly. I was going to say I don't fly enough. No, if I fly once, I fly too many times. But <laughs> I don't fly enough to enough. Not to, not in that way. And there was this woman with her daughter, and the TSA had pulled them aside. You could tell by her demeanor. And she said so loud to her daughter so we could all hear it. She says, we have to be nice to them because they're just making minimum wage. It's like (laughs) all the TSA people and me wanted to just bust her for that. Uh, Culturally, looking down, despising, thinking you have something. And this is what they did to Jesus. Their disdain for Jesus, so sinister. And they finally got their wish when they got him to that cross and thought they were done with him. How about the sinners that were eating with Jesus? They may not have processed all this in very complex ways, but they knew there was something about Jesus that was different. And they knew there was something in his message And all of us sinners need forgiveness. All of us sinners need to do something, either fry our consciences, compare ourselves with somebody else who we think is worse or somebody else thinks that person's worse, and so we we find our ways to to elevate. But we all have to do something. And a, a significant amount of these sinners, as the Spirit began to work in their lives, were drawn to Jesus. They came. They knew there was something about him, uh, about themselves that needed forgiveness. And something in his message resonated with them. And that's the work of the Spirit that was bringing and drawing them. Why would Jesus eat dinner with them? Oh, because he was a political, radical, revolutionary. He was a as some of our uh, friends uh, from, the, from, from a certain branch of theology that want to topple things in, in places uh, would say. He was the radical. Well, he was radical, but not in that way. If God would come to earth as 
fully man and fully God, you could say perfectly man, perfectly God, if God did come to earth as that 100% man, 100% God, his ultimate reason for coming to the earth was to die on the cross, to take uh, the punishment and sin of of the people that he's coming to save, he would do a couple of things, wouldn't he? One thing he would do is he would submit to John's baptism. John the Baptist is out there baptizing people, not in the way that the church baptizes people, but that was a way that uh, people were acknowledging that they were sinners and there was a, a symbolic washing away of their sins. Jesus is identifying with people as a sinner. He submits to that baptism. He's going to bury, take, take the sins of the people. And he, he would do that. The other thing I think that Jesus would do for the people that he came to save with whom he will have a personal relationship forever and ever and ever in heaven. Why wouldn't he sit down and have a meal with them here on earth? He would. Of course he's going to eat with people whose sins he's going to take on himself. Eating with them, the implication, there's a personal contact. Uh, if, you do, if you're able to come over to our house or whatever you do for Easter, uh, you're going to sit around the table. You're not going to just speak in sign language and, and, and eat and run. Uh, there, there's a dinner, there's a, there's a meal, there's a conversation, there's something that goes on, there's things that happen. Uh, it's not just past the salt. Uh, it's, it's how are you doing? And meals are that way. They've always been that way. Jesus said, um, uh, even, even in the book of Revelation, if anyone, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. We're going to have dinner together. A relationship. And Jesus is having that. Now, a word of quick, quick word of caution. Jesus was there on a mission. Sometimes people will say, I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm going to head to the dregs, and I'm going to hang out. Well, I don't know that it's a sin to do that necessarily, but I do want to remind you, you're not Jesus, and you better check your motives and say, my real reason for wanting to be there is actually uh, to bring people to Christ and, and to, to let God use me. And I think there's a lot less people called to that than, than, than say they uh, are called to that. Personal opinion. Okay? So be, be careful to say, I'm going to be like Jesus. And what I took away from Pastor Hutch's sermon today was <laughs> go hang out with the sinners uh, uh, and, and have a good time. Uh, that's not it. But as God brings people into your life, you be welcoming and you open your table and you open your arms and, your, and you see, but, but uh, a word of caution and make sure that's your motive. I would just say this. Back in the 70s, everybody was talking about lifestyle evangelism. Observation. A lot of lifestyle happened. I didn't see a whole lot of evangelism going on. I didn't. Maybe, maybe I, there was, but not from my perspective. Anyway, Jesus is there. He's eating with the tax gatherers and the sinners. They're grumbling about him from the, the religious uh, elites of the culture. And Jesus then took the opportunity, he told them this parable. It says a parable, uh, implying singular, but there's three parables. There's, there's three stories together. We have no reason to think he didn't tell all three of these at the same time. And, and you can see later on, you're going to see how they thread together. But Jesus told about the shepherd going for the sheep. He told about the woman looking for her lost coin. He told about the father looking the horizon for his prodigal son. That's Luke 15. So, 
the sinner described. Question for us. Were the Pharisees wrong to describe the sinners as sinners? Were the Pharisees wrong in their assessment that these were tax gatherers with all the implications of tax gathering uh, in that day? Were they wrong to say they were sinners? And the answer is no. The Bible would say those sinners were sinners. It does say that. Uh, the problem was that they didn't recognize themselves as sinners. Uh, if I call you a sinner first, does that mean I'm not a sinner? Well, I may try to say that, but that's not how it works. And they didn't see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior who was sitting right in front of them. Connected just as critically as they didn't recognize Jesus as that Savior of sinners. So Jesus told the parable, and he described in these three parables uh, the sheep, the coin, the son. Uh, they're described, uh, a sinner is described in three ways. The sheep, that sinner was one who had drifted away in Jesus' parable of the shepherd. That's a sheep that didn't stay with the fold, wasn't following the shepherd, doing their own thing, mind was wandering, saw what they thought was green grass, wandered away, uh, lost track and everything, and then they're out there. And that's sometimes uh, in our sinfulness, we, we do that. Hebrews talks a lot about be careful lest you drift away. You know, floating down floating down with a bunch of people from your church down the lazy river in your tubes. They take you someplace in Alabama. You all get your tube. You hop in your tube, and you, and you kind of float down together, and there's a little island. You stop, and you have your picnic lunch there, and then you float back. But you know what? If you're just closing your eyes and enjoying the sunshine on and all that stuff, pretty soon maybe that pack moves, and you're not even paying attention. And, and the next thing you know, there's a fork in the river, and you're headed toward those rapids, and somebody's got to come and... and, 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 and Hey, wake up, wake up, and come get you and pull you back. Uh, some of our sin is just a, a matter of drift. The coin. The coin, however, was totally inanimate. That's also a description of us as sinners. That coin was unable to call out. That coin was just an inanimate object, valuable and so you take what you know about the sheep, and we say, I'm kind of like that sheep drifting, but I'm also dead in my trespasses and sins. I cannot save myself. The coin isn't saying to itself, oh, she's sweeping over here. Oh, maybe if I can just roll myself over and catch the sunlight coming in the window and that glint, it'll catch your eye. Uh, the coin has no means, no way to save itself. It's valued, it's sought, but it's dead, so to speak, or it's not alive. Technically, would be the way. It can't bleat like a sheep can bleat. Then you take that third, longer parable of the son who'd grown up in church, who'd heard things, who'd had parents who loved him, uh, who'd, who'd heard everything. And he said, you know what? I know it's good at home, but I'm going to be the master of my own fate. Give me my inheritance. And he goes running out in a deliberate shaking your fist at God yeah, that stuff, that was for my parents. 
and they run away from God. And that's a kind of sin that we've also done. God, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And it's not like you're either one of the three. It's like we're all, (laughs) all three can describe us in our lostness in, in various ways. That old song said, there's many ways to be wicked. That's the sinner. As I said, the question isn't which kind of sinner are you or were you before you were saved, but can you see yourself in all three? So now we have the seeker identified. The seeker identified. And the question now is the question that I titled the sermon with, who's the seeker? Who is really the seeker? Not the sheep. Sheep uh, is seeking maybe for some, some relief. The sheep maybe senses a mountain lion near and is, is, uh, is kind of paralyzed by fear and seeking something. But sheep's not the seeker. In this case, the coin is not the seeker. We've talked about that. The shepherd is the seeker. The woman is the seeker. The father is the seeker. Shepherd can save the sheep. The sheep can't save itself. The shepherd has eyes to see. It has ears to hear. It has a nose to smell. It's got a sense of of, of shepherding and a, a sixth sense, you might say, of, of where the danger is. It's got the knowledge the shepherd does of, of where the sheep might go because it knows how other sheep have gone. The, the shepherd is well equipped to save the sheep and the shepherd is the seeker. The woman is the seeker. Now this, I didn't even look back. I don't, I don't recycle old sermons. I don't look at them. <laughs> There's a recording of one. I want to throw it away. I want my notes thrown away. I want to hit every passage fresh because I don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> and so I don't know. I can't remember if, I, if when we went through Luke a couple of years ago pre-COVID, if I even brought this out. I'm telling you, it's new to me, but it might not be. It might have just be something I forgot after a couple of years. But I want you to think with me on these three tied-in parables and think about the Trinity, Think about the Holy Trinity in this. And somebody pointed that out. I forget which which person I was reading talked about that. But you see, the shepherd, uh, that would would obviously be, if if we're we're going to assign this uh, to a member of the Trinity, that would be Jesus, the Son. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He describes himself that way over and over again. The woman searching. A coin that cannot find itself or can't do anything to be found but the Spirit coming along and finding the Spirit we know is the one who God uses to, to, to bring us to life and, and, and to give us a conviction of sin. And you see the Holy Spirit's work in there. There's a large parallel between that woman and that Holy Spirit. And then in the last one with the Father, that would be obvious then too. So just something somebody put forward to think about, but uh, it helped me to think about how my one triune God, how all the members work together in my salvation. The role of the Father, the role of the Son, the role of the Holy Spirit. God, my God, saving me. The sheep, the coin, the Son. Think about that. Who is the seeker? Think of the Father scanning the horizon, waiting for the Son to return. 
He's seeking from his position there. It was Spurgeon. I do remember this. Spurgeon said, you can't really take that third parable without uh, seeing the work of the other two in the the parables. Uh, It's not like the son all of a sudden says, oh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get saved. I'm going to... You know what? That son didn't even come back to get saved, to use our, our, our biblical language and our, our current language. He came back to be a servant. He came back just to, to get into the shelter of the place and get some food and and then and, and, and something steady. He humbled himself. Uh, but even then, it was dad who lifted up his skirts and ran to meet the son. doesn't say the son was just running to the father and like some movie and they met. And here, comes the, here comes the son back in his sin, taking a lesser position, but wanting at least something. And here comes the father doing the running. Who's the seeker? Who's the seeker? The seeker is God, seeking out his people who he's going to save. Quick little side note here, practically. There's a falsehood that people are out there seeking for God. And that we in our wisdom then can have a seeker-friendly service to help reach them. That was a fad for a while. Hope it's gone. Uh, Where services would have two or three services, but then they had one special service. That's our seeker-friendly service. You know what? I think every service where God is praised, where Jesus is lifted up, uh, that's... What's so hard about that? Why have a special seeker service? Reminds me of a movie I saw back in the 80s, and, and, and Paul and I still watch it every now and then. We're in this, this old uh, tough little town, uh, kind of a mean old town. These people want to get out of there, but they want to sell their house. And the guy says, I'll give every resident in this town $50 if you just pretend to be nice and friendly. So they buy the house. And all the people in the town follow them around, caroling for Christmas and doing everything just to be nice so they can get their money. So the seeker for the house would buy that house. I was on a staff one time, and a fellow staff member at this church said, you know, we got to be friendly to people that come in. We have a lot of seekers coming in. So maybe we can just get our congregation on on this Sunday, the people whose last names are A to C, they are the friendly people that week, and then D to G is the friendly people this week. And we had to take turns uh, with the proposition uh, being friendly because uh, of the seeker. Got to help the seeker. Uh, that was shot down pretty quick by wiser heads. Um, hope the person was embarrassed. Um, but seeker-friendly services... Um, listen, according to these parables, the seeker is not the sheep or the coin or even the son. The seeker is God. The seeker is the ones that God represents in the parable. God seeks. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know people sometimes, uh, there's a time where, where, where all of a sudden we, we say, this world really stinks. <laughs> And I've really made a mess of it. And I need something. And my friends have tried this, and I've tried that and everything. And finally, uh, we would say, that may not be that person deciding to be a seeker. That's the Holy Spirit starting to open up a life a little bit. 
and the Holy Spirit doing the drawing, that means that person quite likely is being sought. Okay, then we move, we move from that to final point, the celebration that ensues. What happened in each one of these uh, stories, these vignettes, these parables that Jesus told? Shepherd finds the sheep, and what does he say? Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. What happened with the woman? Verse 9, and when she has found that coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. What happens? We know what happens when the prodigal comes home and the father accepts him not as a slave, but as a son. What happened? That's in verses 22 through 25. And it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. And the older son's out in the field. He came and drew near, and what did he hear? Music and dancing. Music and dancing. There's a celebration when God brings one into his kingdom. The celebration that's there in heaven. He said it twice. He said it in verse 7 and verse 10. And do you know that when you became a Christian, there was a riotous, according to this, a wonderful, joyous celebration party. Angels danced because you got saved. God's heart and his care for people. There must be something personal about you that is loved. You must not just be a number. You must not just be a church attender or a tither or a uh, moral person or a, a, uh, a volunteer for something. There must be something about you and your soul and your life that along with the other things that God lets you do that, that God loves He must love you. And he does. And the celebration for that one. And you think about that. Making the application. Jesus had said, and scripture reiterates it throughout, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So part of that seeking and finding and delivering and bringing back home involves the cross where Christ the shepherd died for you. Second point, which I just said a whole lot. Uh, Told you I'm discombobulated. Second point is an application. You as an individual are loved and valued and sought after or you wouldn't be saved. You're saved if you're a Christian. That means you are loved and you're valued and you're sought after. That's what that means. Third, sheep are sheep. Don't disqualify yourself based on your sins or the mess you've made of your life. The shepherd didn't disqualify the sheep. Man, I'm going to go half a mile and no further. I'll go down this ravine, but I'm sure not going to go across that river for that sheep. If that sheep got over there somehow... Tough luck. Now, when the shepherd goes after the sheep, he goes after the sheep in all the circumstances. 
Think of David, who was a type of Christ, saying, yeah, I think I can handle Goliath because when I was a shepherd, I killed a lion and I killed the bear to defend my sheep. Uh, that's, that's Christ. The woman didn't say, well, it's like that joke. When the guy lost, the guy lost, what are you looking for? <laughs> looking for my car keys. <laughs> Where'd you lose them? Over there somewhere. Well, why are you looking over here? Because the light is so much better over here. Uh, <laughs> no, you go where you've lost the keys. Uh, that's where the woman didn't say, I'll sweep under every dresser but this one. <laughs> and as they say, when you've lost something, when you find it, it's always in the last place you look, right? Think about that. Um, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to seek her where she is because I came to get her. I came for her, and I'm going to go get her. I'm getting her. And the dad, what was he thinking about when the boy came? I had a conversation with one of my children. He said, I'm afraid that you're going to go out and do some things that the Bible would even call riotous living, but I want you to know, just like in that story in the Bible, when you come back, I'm going to be that dad running for you. You think about God scanning the horizon, wanting, wanting, wanting. Nobody disqualified based on their sins or the mess they've made. Just that they are the one that God wants and he's going to get them because he's God and he can do that. And then finally, just then how do we look at each other? Well, in the church sometimes, you know, nobody was surprised when I made a joke when I preached at the Chinese church. I said, you know, every now and then sometimes people in the church kind of, every now and then they can have a fight. You know, forget. I said the same thing. I said the same thing here last week. I said the same thing there. Got the same response. Everybody like <laughs> kind of laughed and, and rolled their eyes and said, yeah, that's true. Uh, I think one thing that we can do is to realize that that fellow Christian who's dipping their hands into the plate is also somebody just like you that Jesus went to great lengths to save. And if we start thinking about that instead of uh, the way somebody let us down or, or uh, didn't eat our food that we brought for the, the, the buffet table that got about somebody else's food or whatever it is that we, we find little ways to get uh, uh, bothered by, uh, start to look at each other is that lost sheep, that, lost, that formerly lost sheep, that formerly lost coin, that formerly lost son who was welcomed by the Father. Somebody said this one time, not in my notes, but I just remembered it. They said, look at God's people. Pretend you've got a ladder and you can climb up behind the cross and you can look down and see people from Jesus' point of view as he's dying for his people and, and try and adopt that as your stance towards God's people, and it will change the way you get along in your churches. That's good advice. We don't know who's a sheep, but God does. And a good rule of thumb for all of us is to regard every single person as a potential brother or sister in Christ and act accordingly.
And that's our message. And that's the end of our series on Christ the Shepherd, though the theme will pop up again and again uh, through the course of years as we look at the scriptures. Uh, You love your shepherd because he first loved you. You were sought, you were bought, you were found, you were rejoiced over. And there's a place in heaven that he's going to prepare for you. So hold your head high, shoulders back, head up, walk out into this world and go, you know, I can do this. Because Jesus Christ sought me and found me and brought me back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for these stories that uh, you told us as, as Jesus was here on earth. Thank you for the faithful uh, witnesses that recounted these stories. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in making sure that uh, what we have in Scripture is accurate and, and true. And then thank you uh, with all of that as our, as, our, uh, as our foundation. Thank you for what it taught us. And thank you for your love for us as individuals. Thank you for the celebration that went on. And thank you, Lord, that we uh, don't have to wander around in the dark seeking you, but you sought us. In Jesus' name, amen.